I negotiated with my manufacturer that I'd pay um, a 30% deposit upfront. That was my like personal investment that I had to, you know, forego. That was the risk, the, the skin in the game. And then I had eight weeks before it landed to cover the remainder of the cost of the goods. So I had eight weeks to sell. I did it in two and a half weeks. Why I think we were successful is because we grew so fast in such a small amount of time, but I was so well prepared and I invested so much energy into the preparation of this growth that I personally anticipated through like blind belief. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the How to Sell podcast. I am your host. I'm the reason why you turn up, not my co-host, Dave Festuca, but thank you for showing up. <laughs> Ratings Dave have gone up, Louis. Reviews are soaring since I've joined the podcast, so well, uh, let's, yeah. uh, let's I'll tackle that one. Well, well thank you for showing up. Um, if you're a first-time listener, we're very grateful that you've decided to, to jump in and hear our podcast, um, and if you're a long-time listener, thank you very much for always showing up. Don't, for hit the, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, because this is a podcast Yes, it's called How to Sell, but we help you achieve that by looking at things from the buyer's perspective because we talk to buyers and find out how do they buy. So we're really pumped about this week's guest. We have a guest who's been in the hot seat for a number of years, kind of born into, into business, and she's going to talk a bit about that and how that's impacted the way that she's been buying. But before we jump in there, Dave, what's been happening in your world? My world. My world's been uh, quite cruisy. It's uh, just ticked over another year in uh, in Earth years. Uh, so young, 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 thirty-eight. Uh, kids make me feel very, uh, very old. Um, How is that it I that? A lot of... Why is it that you're thirty-eight but you look older than me, man? And I'm forty-one. Uh, uh, yeah, it's a great question, Louis. Maybe it's uh, being either married to a Maltese wife or three kids or a combination of both. Hopefully she doesn't listen to this. <laughs> well, happy birthday, man. I, I, I you know, yes, I, I know it was your birthday and you got your uh, birthday message yesterday. So, um, yeah, you, I know you forgot. Sorry. Yeah, I, I did forget it. My partner had to remind me that it was your birthday. I'm like, oh, okay. But yes, let's, let's, you know, people don't come up, come to this episode to hear you talk, Dave. Um, Rebecca, welcome to the How to Sell podcast. Thank you. I'm very happy to be with you guys today. Well, it's good because it's good to hear that we, 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 we have somebody that loves banter and loves giving it to Dave because Dave's kind of... <laughs> you know, no, I'll be nice. Yeah. It was his birthday. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you look, obviously, um, I did mention your background that you were born into a business. Um, and for our listeners who might not have heard of you, um, do you mind just giving them a quick snapshot of, yeah, where, where do you come from? Um, you did mention that you, I mentioned that you're born into a business. Do you want to maybe talk a bit about that and how that's impacted your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, I've pretty, pretty fun story. It, I think the first business I ever started was when I was eight years old. I was in grade three and it was because, so my parents had a promotional products company. They owned their own factories, were manufacturing all the incredible accessories for companies like Roxy, Quicksilver, all the surfing brands. And in the basement of the factory would be all the samples. And I used to take these samples and bring them to school and sell them in the playground <laughs> for quite a substantial discount as well. Um, and it lasted for about six months. I ended up hiring friends to walk around different parts of the playground and sell for me because there was such a demand. And then one day I got pulled into the principal's office and I thought, 
like, that's it. I'm like going to be suspended. I'm going to be in so much tr trouble. I've got Eastern European parents. They're going to like belt me when I get home. <laughs> and lo and behold, the principal was trying to negotiate to see if she could buy some herself for her daughter. Oh. So it was, it was a great boost of ego and confidence to sort of start me on my entrepreneurial journey at, at essence. But, um, really, yeah, my, my family had their own background in business and entrepreneurial, uh, sort of endeavors. They immigrated, you know, when they were young, so they came with nothing, worked hard, showed their children how to, you know, set something up from nothing and bootstrap and work their butt off in a very smart way and built an incredible business. But I, when I was 17, I actually got handed the keys to a gym. So I essentially became my own gym manager and personal trainer at about 17, 18, 19. And that's when I really learned how to make shit happen because I was given empty gym doors, zero members, and built it to essentially 200 members in under about four months. Um, and it was such a such an incredible, humbling experience to also deal with, you know, my own clients, building up classes, building up community, and experiencing that sort of world from nothing. Um, and then I started my first company when I was 21, which was Soul Cups, which yeah. became a global empire, became one of the top four reusable cup companies in the world. And it's been almost a decade, so I'm going to turn 30 this year. And we actually decided to close the doors and, and finish that, that business after almost a decade. And now I'm starting a new health tech company, which is a completely different industry. But yeah, that, that's a little bit of a snapshot. Man, what a, what a journey. Crazy, huh? I love that, especially studying in primary school. That's the best. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mate, you know what? You're born, you're, you're born into, you know, you're a hustler. You're born, right? You're born like that. That's what I love about it. I actually love that story. Um, yeah, so this is really interesting. And do you mind just sharing with our audience? Because obviously 10 years, um, I know this is probably off topic, but what sort of emotion do you have? When you look back and go 10 years, I'm shutting a business that you're probably very passionate about. I could only imagine it's probably triggered some, um, have you been feeling about that whole process? It's a grief. It, it, it was a, a genuine loss and I went into a very dark place. I was very, very depressed for probably about three months of that process. And it was very challenging because I still had a big team and I had to fire everyone. And that whole experience of having to walk in, and obviously there was transparency along the way. It's not like it was just a shock and it was an overnight, you know, decision. Yeah. It was a process, obviously. But yeah, it's it's just an unforgettable experience of grief and loss. And I went through those waves of failure and disappointment and ego and everything you can imagine because being 21 when you start and then you know, getting to that sort of next phase of your life into your 30s, it's such, I basically grew up. It was my entire adulthood was developing this business and growing with this business. So as it died and it closed, it felt like a part of me also went with it. And I had to then reinvent myself and relearn who I am, what kind of, you know, mark I want to leave on the world next. And, you know, outside of soul because everybody knew me as the soul cups mm -hmm. lady you know 
um, who actually am I and what do I believe in and what are my values outside of that business? So it was a huge yeah. discovery and a huge almost death and rebirth at the same time. Yeah. Your identity becomes like attached to, to the business, right? Especially when you're there for so long. And also it's your first success, right? And also mm. as a, as a, as a young woman, it, it became, I made all those cliche mistakes of, you know, becoming my business. I was the face of the brand. I was that big profile that was being interviewed every, you know, three times a week on a plane, every two weeks, traveling around the world. Like it felt quite large in your own like bubble of, mm. you know, your universe. And then to have that burst and go, okay, well, now no one really gives a shit about you. As an ego, from an ego perspective, it was a huge, uh, you know, monumental smack to the face to kind of go, well, you know, if no one really gives a shit about you now because the brand's over, well, what now? Yeah. Who are you? Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough transition, right? Mm. Like you said, it, yeah, uh, yeah. you summed it up really well that it's that it's a grief. It, it is a process uh, to go through and, you know, You've come out the the other side, you know, obviously amazing. Like, you know, you always knew you would, but still had to go through those challenging times, building something completely different from, you go from, you know, glass cups to now health tech, uh, <laughs> something you're really passionate about. Um, even you know, from when we met, I think it's close to a year ago, you were always talking about the the health side. You even helped me personally, uh, direct me to, to someone to help with, um, when I was feeling lethargic and uh, and things like that. So you could tell that that was a burning passion of yours. So it's awesome to see uh, yeah. that you're now turning that into into a career. Um, you. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Well, we might, have, we, we might have to get some more advice off your Rebecca on other things we need to help date. We can do it by a hacking session. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think there's certain things that we can help with, Dale. I think you just have to Yeah, we're just joking around earlier. Um, and Costa, if you're listening, he he could hear that that Dave doesn't have to get dressed up at uh, Halloween. He can just go. So <laughs> I've just got a, I've got a Luigi mask here. I just put on. <laughs> it's bad actually. You should edit that out. All right, it's bad. That's enough. Enough. All right. I want to. Okay. Ask... It's Friday. Play nights. <laughs> Friday. Friday. I want to ask Greg. Like, being so you know so young, and Soul Cups was was big, and you and you're buying in, you know, quite a lot of products. Um, now, how were, can you talk us through how, how did you make these buying decisions? Obviously, you know, let's just call it like you were fortunate, yet he would have had some connections because of um, the family's business, you know, was did a lot of importing, exporting. Um, what role did that play? What role did you play in making decisions? And, and how did you decide when to pull a trigger and, and make a buying decision? Yeah, it's a great question because it's so circumstantial to the kind of business you run. So education is the key here. It doesn't matter whether you are, you know, initially, I, I was so fortunate to have that background and that knowledge and watch my family make decisions and make many mistakes, by the way. They were like almost went mm. bankrupt before I was born. And it's <laughs> like a whole other fun story there. Um, but the reality was when we started the business, the decisions in terms of purchasing stock, for example, were very much based on demand and supply rules, really simple. I needed to build a community and I needed to ensure that this stock was going to be sold before it landed in the country. So I mm. went and made that happen. So my decision to purchase stock was triggered on how quickly I could pre-sell the stock. So we, we bootstrapped the business. 
I didn't have the luxury of like money to back it and build it. You know, even though my parents were entrepreneurial and had their own business, I didn't say they were successful. So I learned a lot from them and a lot from their mistakes. And I actually love my mother. We ended up being business partners and she worked with me in Seoul for the whole time, but father, not as much in terms of understanding how to operate and actually build and how to, you know, monetize and create and like, you know, build an empire. So I learned a lot from his fuck ups, basically, excuse the French. So when we made buying decisions, it was very much strategic. It was very much data driven and it was very much action orientated. So I went and I made sure I sold 8,000 cups before the eight week mark of it, its arrival. So I negotiated with my manufacturer that I'd pay um, a 30% deposit on front. That was my like personal investment that I had to, you know, forego. That was the risk, the, the skin in the game. And then I had eight weeks before it landed to cover the remainder of the cost of the goods. So I had eight weeks to sell. I did it in two and a half weeks. They gave us a lot of confidence. And immediately after those two weeks, they placed the second order for a container double the size. All right. So that's essentially how the pattern began in terms of cash flow and buying decisions. Pardon the interruption, but I have to let you know about this free resource. The Growth Forum newsletter has over 10,000 subscribers that are learning how to sell. Each and every week, we send you tips, strategies, and also some tools and tech on how to achieve the most out of your sales pipeline. If you're ready to level up, sign up for free at growforum.io forward slash newsletter and get the first issue this week. So that's really, actually, it's really typical entrepreneur, right? Finding yeah. a way to manage through that process. But from the, on the flip side, right? When, um, obviously when you were buying, you were really considering cash flow. Um, we'd love to understand. And if you think about, you know, that was early in your days as you built the business and you moved into sort of year four or five, um, was there a time where you were purchasing a tech platform or purchasing, um, I don't know, vehicle, whatever else. Like, was there a time that you were purchasing something where cash flow wasn't necessarily the main driver? What were some of the other drivers that was influencing your decision making process? Or was cash flow always the key? Look, at the, it's a very specific industry. When you're in product, cash flow is always the key. Like, that is the okay. golden rule. You can't really step outside that. And if you do, it's a, it's generally because you've got, a lot of cash to play with and you're not scared that it's going to eat into any buying yeah. behavior because it's a very especially in the industry i was in we were heavy uh focused on wholesale making sure that we were stocked everywhere but also into corporate which meant that there was less um risk in the corporate side of the the b2b business because you didn't have to bring stock in and then ship it out again and hold it and there was no risk in that regard so the way i structured our decisions and buying were really relevant to which industry was like we were focusing on more. So when we were buying things like a company car or office spaces, or, you know, we did an astronomical amount of trade shows, for example, internationally, I think we did like maybe 25 per trade show cycle on a global scale. So that's like three months, 25 shows. Really that's crazy. Insane. Yeah, yeah. In there. So you're having to obviously invest in a lot of additional things, um, yeah. but you weigh that up to what's 
what's the win, what's the outcome, and what's the return on investment. If you talk about technology, oh, fuck, I wasted so much money on technology and made so many mistakes. And still to the last day of Sol existing, we still had the shittest website that just <laughs> barely worked. And I don't think I ever had a successful experience from like ad spend and marketing just because of, yeah. Yeah. So could, and sorry, Dave, I know you got, but can I just go back on that? Cause you, you, this is really, I think this is a really important um, topic. So you mentioned that your website didn't have a great experience, didn't have a great experience with AdWords. Um, do you mind sharing, was that something that you did internally or did you outsource that? We outsourced and it's, it's very, uh, again, when we launched, it was 20, end of 2015, 2016, right? It wasn't, the, it's not the same world now. Yeah. So there was very little sort of awareness and understanding. And it was just the baby beginning of Instagram and social media and advertising. And everybody was promising you the world. And no one really understood because there wasn't enough data, literally, yeah. to have context of what's going to work, what's not going to work. It was all testing, right? So there was so much money thrown down the drain. Everything was agencies. Everything was outsourced. We never, ever had an internal marketing person um, until basically last year as the last hope to see if we could try and change something. And we did an internal, um, like we hired someone internally and it was still such a fuck up. Like it was just nothing worked for us in the end. Yeah. So when, when deciding the, the agency side, right? Because a, a, a lot of businesses use external resourcing yeah. um, to help fill the gaps uh, or even just because they don't, they don't want the headcount in the business. Um, did they, you know, were you sold to? Like, did they come to you cold? Were you, did you do outreach? How did you, what was that process look like? You know, if you pick maybe what, one scenario where you found them, uh, you had hunted an agency of sorts and one where, I'm sure you would have got hammered every day being a, an e-commerce brand, uh, you know, with our 20, you know, cold, you know, plus hitting your inbox, you know, was any of them, did any of them work on you? I have so many stories. <laughs> the, and the but let, let's go part. one horror and one. Yeah. Okay. The, the horror is the one time I went out to look and outsourced and researched and tried to find someone. Um, Oh, fuck, it's such a bad story. We ended up losing like $15,000 straight away. So they we invested 15K into them to build our website and to sort of begin something and to build the site and to also do some marketing. And it turns out that the, one of the business partners ended up stealing all the money, clearing the bank account oh. and scamming the other business partner. So oh, we lost everything, didn't have a website. Um, it was a fucking nightmare. And I put a post out onto social media basically saying, like, I'm desperate for some help. Does, like, can any anyone know anyone who can actually help me right now tonight? Desperate. Um, and through that outreach, I met this amazing New Zealand guy who literally was just a sole contractor. He was, like, mm. living it up in Bali. Um, and he saw the post, responded to me, and basically said, I feel so horrible to see what has happened to you. I'm going to build you your website for free. Just have it, oh, a wow. gift from me. Um, and if you want to work with me, of course, but no obligation. I just like literally cannot handle the fact that this was done to you. It sounds terrible. Yeah. And I worked with Steve for two years. That was when we launched Soul Cups. That was like the first thing we ever did. So 
he was amazing, but we launched it on WordPress. Like, this is how far back we're going. Yeah. And it was still a shit show. Like, it was amazing for what he did, but it was like a terrible website. And it couldn't handle the load of sales either because mm. we were actually going through a boom. So it was, it was just, yeah, one episode like that after the other, basically, just got worse and worse. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that, that's, that's, I didn't expect that type of horror story, but that's, that's pretty empty. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, we probably should, we could probably do an episode of all the things that you learned. And, and you know what? You probably, that's kind of like a great, it's probably a great university degree for you in building your next startup, right? Because oh, yeah. you navigated yeah. through so many different challenges. At least now you've kind of got a bit of a blueprint of what not to do. Yeah. And I think we've all been, we all make mistakes. I mean, I'm constantly, like Dave and I are in business and I've been involved in other businesses. And I think, some of the best learnings, even though when we're in the, in that moment, you don't want to learn, you're like you're wishing that you're not going through it. Yeah. They're kind of the ones that really help build your capability. They help elevate. Of course. Yeah. Who you are. Look, we're, we're generally solutions driven people, right? As entrepreneurs, we yes. make it happen, we make decisions quite quickly and we move forward. We don't sit in the mud. And the thing about fuck ups and mistakes is that it just ignites that energy even more, right? You're just going to go all in and go, okay, let's fix this. Let's solve it. And that lateral thinking happens. And that's when the good stuff really comes out because you don't have a choice. Yeah. yeah. That's a great, that's a great story here. Um, yeah. and so, let's go, Louis. Oh, sorry. Okay. I keep cutting off, but I did the last one. Okay. I'm actually not, not the last one. <laughs> Dave, um, you just mentioned something. I think that's important because again, this, this, this podcast is about teaching people how to sell. And obviously, you know, you are one of many uh, entrepreneurs um, and business owners that we're talking to, to help people who are selling to entrepreneurs and business owners understand them a bit better. And you just mentioned something that I think is really important that you are generally solutions focused as an individual. Um, you make decisions quickly and you're essentially a fast paced operator, right? Are there some good ways to describe your type of personality profile? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. To a T. That, that is a, a type classic. Like I am multitasking all the time. I'm operating yeah. at a very high level of output. My decision making is very fast. I don't second guess myself. I'm very connected to my gut and I just move forward. Everything's about moving the needle forward. Interesting, right? So that's a good, like, almost a, a typical persona of a founder, entrepreneur, especially in, in the early days, low cash, need to push forward, make decisions fast, you know, to yeah. get that revenue ticking up, right? Um, and then yeah. before Louis cuts me off again, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, let's jump into like a good scenario where either someone, you know, cold outreach to you or you found a good vendor. Um, you know, you would have probably had like a, an ERP or CRM of sorts, which, you know, is in their thousands of dollars. So you, you, you want to take a step back and think about, you know, that investment, um, walk us through that sort of, uh, buying process and what played through in your head, because being the founder, you don't need to report to anyone, yeah. um, unless you had external CFO you know, of sorts, uh, but you're, you know, you're, you're making the decision. How did you make that? I think I want to talk about an example in terms of systems and processes. So it's a big part of 
why I think we were successful is because we, we, we grew so fast in such a small amount of time, but I was so well prepared and I invested so much energy into the preparation of this growth that I personally anticipated through like blind belief. <laughs> but because I had that, I was able to do all of that research and development in purchasing the right CRM tools, the right software tools, the right solutions from a technology perspective to be able to ramp up and grow and deal with that influx of demand without any kind of stress or overwhelm. Because I literally went from at working at a cafe on my laptop by myself, pick and packing yeah. things in mum's garage, like literally, because we did a lot of co-branding. That was our biggest part of our business was like co-branding on the sleeves. But I was the one physically like taking the sleeve off the cup, sending it to the printer, re-sleeving it. Like my fingernails are like bleeding by the end of the day, you know? And I realized that, well, overnight I went from, you know, one or two orders like that to working with companies like Microsoft and HP ordering like 10,000 at a time. We had to grow. We had to deal with this. So I, I hired eight people in under a month and had to, you know, expand the team and hiring people means technology. It means onboarding. Yeah. It means training. It means sales CRMs. It means, you know, operational security and data, like the, the whole shebang from zero to nothing. So buying that technology or investing in those purchases, very much decisions were based on how optimized can it get? How yeah functional is it? Is it going to meet my needs as a founder because I'm neurotic in systems and I really love organization? Like, is it going to meet my requirements? Um, and in terms of, of an, as an investment, I think about my team and what their needs are. Like, how can I make their lives as easy as, and as functional and productive as possible so that they can sell more and they can do a better job at customer service and the things that matter? So that those are my buying pattern decisions was do the research, do all the compare and contrast, make sure my needs are being met, negotiate, even with technology. Like I worked with an amazing CRM from the US and at, I literally just, if you don't ask, the answer is always going to be no. I would yeah. always negotiate because why not? You know, and they gave us amazing deals, amazing opportunities where it would be like six months for free, you know, or... 50% uh, off for the next three months. Just like how incredible is that just from asking? So yeah, that was definitely part of that buying behavior. Do you have a great product, but are struggling to reach more customers? Are you spending hours on sales activities that aren't generating results, leaving you feeling frustrated and discouraged? The Sales OS program is a step-by-step -step operating system that will help you slash your selling hours in half while rapidly growing your revenue. In under just two weeks, you can be well on your way to creating predictable revenue. In Sales OS, we'll show you how to build predictable sales pipeline, build lasting relationships with your customers, and sell more in less time. The art of negotiation and motivating and leading a successful sales team. If this sounds like something that you need in your business, visit growforum.io forward slash sales and apply to see if you have the right mindset to achieve predictable revenue. The Sales OS program is your ticket to predictable revenue. Don't wait any longer, apply today. No, that's great. Look, and there was one point there that you mentioned uh, that I just want to recap on because I literally had a conversation with another founder during the week and, and they asked a, a really good question, which I've never asked before or never thought of, 
but it was like, okay, if I go with this provider, you know, we're looking at ramping up and, and bringing in two new, you know, employee, uh, 10 new, new employees into the business. So what's that incremental cost going to be, you know, from our technology stack? Because like you said, more people into the business, it's yeah. not just they're, you know, buying them, buying them a laptop and, and their salary and super and all those sort of things. It's everything in the business increases. You need to give them access to an email, the CRM, any other tools. So, you know, there could be an extra $2,000 to your technology stack per head that you bring onto the business. Exactly. Which, you know, if you're cash flow, you know, if you're watching your cash flow, if you're in the early days of starting a business, even in the bigger, larger business too, that's something that's often overlooked um, yeah. in that position process. So it's great that you, um, you know, you brought that up. It's, it's one of those things where you can sort of be creative about how you hire as well. Like, I mean, you can even consider that in the wages and the package and have that as a calculation when you're doing your projections of, you know, something that, so when I told you about mom being in my business, she was the bookkeeper. Her background is accounting and, you know, sort of financial support. So whenever we'd go into a really busy period, we'd know we'd need to start hiring people we'd sit and we'd do these projections based on exactly what you just discussed. What's the tech stack going to cost per head? You know, wh what extra costs are we going to incur and how many cups do we need to sell to cover that employee, basically? So if we're going to hire this person, this is what our sales need to look like, you know, and this is the, you know, the, the balance of that and being really transparent about that with those employees as well. I got, well, we've got one last question before we head towards um, wrapping up and then going into our, Louie and I do then do a spiel uh, towards the end and we talk about how do we, how would we sell to Beck? Uh, <laughs> so with, with, with your mother as, you know, CFO um, in the business, and this is the case with many uh, founders, they go into business with a friend, a family member, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, two or three, whatnot, you know, did you have to run things past mum, right? Before making a buying decision, you know, and, and how, if you did, how was that conversation like? Because emotions come into play um, during those processes, right? And uh, because you're friendly or family, things can get quite heated. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. There were many situations where we were, you know, at each other's sort of throats about arguing about how we should do things. And when you work with family, it's I find it much harder than working with, say, friends or acquaintances because it's easier to set boundaries and it's easier to set those rules in the beginning. Whereas with family forgotten very quickly, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, and it, it was, I'll tell you, I grew up, I was already, I already grew up very fast. I didn't really have a childhood and my mother and I's relationship is not mother daughter. It's very much friend, but at the same time, this experience working with her taught me an entirely new level of sort of personal development and and keeping my shit together because no I did not have to run past her and I'm deeply grateful for the trust and um, the independence that I was given in this business because I was the director it was my business but at the same time her talent and her skill set was so incredible that there wasn't a time where I didn't have a conversation with her as even as a soundboard because doing everything alone is 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 not going to get you the best result. I believe that together we go further, whether it's, you know, having a community or having friends or a circle or a business partner or whatever it is, you just are going to make better decisions through diversified feedback 
and through soundboarding. So I didn't need her permission ever to make decisions, but I definitely loved and valued sharing and having feedback and opinions and from my team as well. That was definitely a big part of our growth is that transparency with team as well. Well, this has been amazing. And I've actually, like always, a good, good, a very good guest. I get a lot of notes and uh, I've been typing away because I've taken a number of things away from this conversation. And I just want to say thank you so much for, you know, sharing. I know that it's probably, um, it's, it's not always, uh, people think that businesses can be somewhat, it's always fun. There's always the upside, but there's actually a lot of downside to it as well, right? Not just the fact that regardless, even if a business is performing well, in some cases, people can still go through that emotional challenge and that that stress and the unknown and, you know, but it takes, it takes a particular person to be able to go through that. And I often say this, some people, um, and there's, it's no right or wrong. They're suited to work in a company where they don't have to worry about cash flow. They don't have to worry about where their pay is coming from. Every month they get money into their bank account and they can go and do what they need to do. And you need people like that, right? You need yeah. people to work in business like that. So it takes somebody really special. It takes somebody really unique to be able to do what you do. So just want to say thank you very much for showing up on our podcast and sharing your story with us. Um, we've taken a lot away and we are very excited. I, I can't even see this new business yet. So you'll have to let us know when you launch the health tech so that we can start uh, being cheerleaders and cheering with some. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, super exciting. And you know what, just, just to sort of add on that really quickly, like you're so right. There, there are definitely two types of people in the world. Those that don't care about the weekly paycheck and those that do. And those that don't are the ones that are, you know, blindly and curiously charging forward and making decisions and, you know, just taking the risk because, you know, there's no other way to live. And it's either you get that or you don't get that. And yeah, it's for anyone thinking about, you know, starting a business or going down that journey, like it's, it's fucked up at times, <laughs> you know, that's no nice way to say it. Like there's just some moments you're going to be sitting there like, holy shit, why am I doing this to myself? But, you know, there's so much reward and there's so much fulfillment in, you know, achieving your dreams and goals and hopefully leaving an impact on the world around you. Well, it's been great. Thank you for, um, getting our podcast changed in its ratings from uh, PG to <laughs> Sorry. That's uh, <laughs> no, all right. Yeah, but it's been great. It's fine. <laughs> Somebody that swears more than me. Um, so thank you very much. That's <laughs> sorry. Apologize. <laughs> you can it out. You don't want to see um, Dave and I's WhatsApp channel. If that ever gets leaked, we are in one trouble. We'll have to get a PR. We'll have to get, we'll have to get Dan Andrews PR company. To <laughs> wow. That's that bad. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, this has been a good episode, and uh, we're to jump into the next segment of our episode. Thanks, Mick. Okay, see you, Dave. We could have kept going. I think we went a bit longer than what we anticipated, but I th you know, I was it was great to hear sort of from an entrepreneur that is in the driving seat. Um, and you can see she's sort of now building another business. So I found I got a lot of value from that. I don't know about you. Yeah, look, I really resonated a lot, a lot with Beck. You know, we're, we're, we're founders ourselves in business in this current one and in past ones. 
and everything she said was, was pretty much on the money. Like you're making decisions, you know, thick and fast. Um, you, you need to push hard to, to grow. Um, but she really highlighted a couple key areas, yeah. um, you know, that I would, you know, leverage when selling to her. So let me throw it back to you, Louis. Yeah. You know, you're, you're selling, uh, let's pick it the a CRM yeah. to her or, you know, you, you pick your poison on what you want to sell. How would you sell it to someone's persona like Rebecca? I think, I think the first thing we need to think about, right? Like we've got to think about her social style, her behavior style, right? And in, in her case, she reeled it off. It was fast paced, right? Mm. Absolutely fast paced, problem solver, um, risk taker. You could, you could kind of, if you get a picture of that type of person, um, they are moving forward. Uh, fast decision-making process. So they're not ones to sort of sit there and kind of ideate and look for the perfect scenario. Um, to some extent, they're kind of like the perfect person to sell to because if you de determine a need, um, their ability to move forward quickly is actually quite high, right? So if you think about it, they're not the ones that are going to take the long time in your pipeline. But in saying that, because they are such, um, in that fast pace, to some extent, they're not going to be always considering certain things. Yeah. And so, um, I just think in her case, and she, she had a couple of great examples of when she bought a website and it didn't work. Um, and even, you know, the marketing agency, I think if I was in that position where I was selling to, to Rebecca, whether it be a CRM or even a marketing, um, program. One of the things that I would probably consider, and this is why we need to be doing our research, is you'd want to do some research on her and the business. You'd want to be actually looking at her and saying, hey, I'm noticing how your business is going to market. I'm noticing what you're doing over here. And I'm not sure if you realize, but this is happening, which could be impacting performance, sales, cash flow. Think about what she said. Even cash flow was king for her day one. Cash flow was king for her day, you know, last year. So cash flow had never stopped. It was it never stopped being a priority for her. And I think this is common with a lot of business owners. A lot of business owners, this is why they're very different. You've got to see them differently that yes, a corporate, they're responsible maybe to shareholders, whether it being enlisted or a small shareholder group, but the bigger companies, um, they got a little greater cash reserve they've got a very different focus and if things don't go well yeah okay it's not it's 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 bad but for a small business owner the small business owner potentially got their house connected to the to the business yeah yeah um there's family they're not doing certain things with the money because they're allocating it to their business there's a different level of emotion that's connected right and i think it's really important again as you're selling to these different audiences you've got to be thinking about this because emotion drives the decision-making process. 92% of the decisions we make is driven by emotion first and we justify it with logic, right? Mm -hmm. So in her point, she mentioned it. Cash flow was absolutely king. She's multitasking, right? So how would I sell to her? I would really be looking at finding a way to show her a gap that's probably impacting one of those things. It's impacting cash flow. It's impacting sales, right? It's impacting her ability to grow her business. If, if that's the way that I would approach her first, 
And I would also, knowing that she's such a fast-paced decision maker, I would also help in that sales process, building that business case. And it came up, the true impact of adding tech. Like it wasn't just, hey, I've got to buy this for one person. What about all the other aspects that it impacts? And helping her go, hey, during this, you might not be aware, but when you do X, this is how it impacts B and this is how it impacts C. This is the wider impact. Giving her that knowledge because you could tell the type of person that she is, she wants that education. She wants that knowledge, right? That would only improve your status in her eyes. And so that's what I would do. So first and foremost, going back a step, do a bit of research, find some gaps, develop a message that talks to the gaps that are aligned to the things that are important to her. Like I said, cash flow and growth, right? The two key things, yeah? Um, then once I'm into that conversation, making sure, and she mentioned her sales process, making sure it's aligned to her needs, allowing her the space to negotiate because she said, ask, give it that space. Her social style wants to be in control of the decision-making process. Yeah. So give her options as you progress. So these are the options that can help you achieve your outcome, help with your need. That way she's got control of the buying process. Yeah. And once you've gone through that, also give her an understanding of what does the business case look and how does it impact a wider business and connect those to the options to say, given X, these are some of the options, which option did you want? Because by providing that she's got control, she's a driver. Yeah. She feels like, yes. And also you've created value in her eyes because you've helped her not just with a need, but you've helped her potentially identify an unrecognized need. So that's the exact way that I would go about selling, you know, anything to her CRM marketing tool, um, onboarding, um, training. You'd be looking at that, at that, um, at the gap in her business because you're the expert and be able to educate, right? And you know, how would I approach her now as she's embarking on the next stage of her of her entrepreneurial journey? And she mentioned she's building a health tech business. You, before you even reach out, you want to do this research. She's on a podcast. She's probably you could jump out there and look at some of her content, and you'd go, you know what? She's just gone through ten years in this business. She's mentioned some pain. You would also potentially use that in the next message. Yeah. You would reference some of that and that would start the new conversation. How, how would you frame that? Cause that could be, you know, quite touchy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think first and foremost, um, you'd be, you know, if I was referencing this podcast, I'd actually leverage that in my first line. I really thank you for sharing your story. Um, it really resonated with me because of A, B and C, you know, after hearing your story and, and, and I'm, and the fact that you're now going and building another business, um, I've got some insight that I think would add value to what you're doing, right? Um, in this next stage of your journey or something like that, right? I know we're, we're coming yeah, that's good. quickly, but you want to reference that. You want to recognize that. You want to show her that, hey, I've actually really heard what you've got to say. And she's a fantastic advocate for entrepreneurs. You know, she's out there. She's a board member. Um, she's an entrepreneur in residence. So she's got a lot of... She really loves it, that fact that she's giving back, right? And I think you can flip that and say, I can see you're giving giving a lot of value to other people and I would love to give that value back. And she mentioned that the guy that reached out to her and said, I'll help you with your website. 
So just like, you know, she's open to that type of conversation. And this is why for people listening to this in our audience, it's really important that in a world of automation, and you've heard me talk about this time and time again, in a world of technology, the best thing you can do is use the technology to do your research, but spend the time to really customize your outreach message because the one-to-one message that you can create will help you build your relationship funnel, right? And that for me is probably the, the best way to mic drop this episode, Dave. It's yeah. people want somebody that is focused on them and they're not part of a message of one to a thousand. And we've seen this this week, we won't name names, but the message you got and the message one of our friends got was exactly the same message, right? And, you know, it come, people know that's happening. Yeah. And so the value from the buyer's side, it's like, Hey, I know that you're just blasting this out. This isn't personal. This isn't just into me. It's into a whole bunch of people, right? Sure. It works when you're doing at massive volume, but you know what? It's a lot of work to do that anyway. So that, so that's the way that I would sort of wrap this up. And, And this is great because we're going to be talking to other entrepreneurs, other business owners about this exact topic. And as part of this process, yeah, audience will be able to get a real feel to the social style that they're talking to, to what's driving them, um, the key things that are important to them and how they should sell to them. Right. Good, great summary and perfect way to wrap up uh, another How to Sell episode. Yeah. As Louis mentioned at the start, feel free to subscribe to wherever you're watching or listening uh, this episode and uh, keep an eye out for next week's one. It's going to be another brilliant episode. And if you, uh, if you do want to get in touch, just send Dave a message and say happy 40th birthday. Oh, well, well, don't add a couple more years to him. <laughs> Not 40 yet. Dave, know that you do like, even though he's, 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 uh, you know, you don't turn up to listen to him. Just let him know that you are grateful for him being a co-host. Well, send me some love and support to deal with Louis. We'll see you on the next show.